0: Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Behind the Goals podcast, after a bit of a lengthy break that we didn't quite plan for. Uh, a hiatus. Yeah, yeah. We, we knew there'd be a little bit of a break, a little bit of a lull, where we both uh, took well-earned holidays. Um, but uh, events have conspired to keep us busy since we got back from our, our separate holidays.
0: We're back, and we're uh, we've, we're we're back by demand of Scottish
1: football. Absolutely, absolutely, they want to that. hear us. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, um, yeah. it's been a busy week. Yeah, it has been. Um, so, uh, it's What are we ter- talking about this week? It's, well, we're, it's turned into really a media frenzy in the last week and it's probably a bit of a, an opportunity to go a little bit more in depth with some of the topics that have, we've come up that we've, uh, we've responded to. Um, first of all, last week um, we had a call from the BBC um, to, uh, to offer our opinions and our responses and reactions to the discussions about uh, lifting the alcohol ban at football. Uh, That actually coincided with a trip we were both making, although I said we were on separate holidays, uh, that was in September, in October we went across a bit of ground hopping in Poland uh, for a beer festival. So we were spending uh, three days, three, four days, Mm. um, various football stadiums around Warsaw drinking beer at the time when the discussion about lifting the alcohol ban uh, of of sale of alcohol in football matches was being discussed. So... uh, Newsride called us in for a bit of a discussion about that. Um, and then that seems to have followed over this week into the, the events at the, the Hearts-Hibs game uh, a couple of nights ago. Um, and uh, again, the BBC were in contact asking, asking for us to talk about that and also STV uh, asking us into the studio um, to talk about that Um anybody who's seen the clip will know I've got a face for radio but I went in there reluctantly um, and I guess one of the things that really came out of that. Hair is for TV though, great hair. Oh, great hair for TV, great, yeah, hair. great suit, great hair. Yeah, um, yeah. rubbish voice, rubbish face. Um,
0: My mum likes your dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, thank you, thank you Andrew's mum um, and uh, yeah I guess I really kind of brought to the fore is a little bit of a a, a discomfort, really. Uh, we like to be quite measured. We like to work quietly in the background, be proactive about things, rather than be in the foreground, be in the public, reacting event to events that emerge. But when big things happen in football, you have to just get over that discomfort mm-hmm. and get out there and and say your piece. Um, mm-hmm. and, but still try to give a considered response to those, uh, th- those, those issues when when others may be getting a little bit heated and and, and passionate and, and reactive
0: about it. It it's a it's a fine line to walk, isn't it? I think because. Uh, as a, a role of a supporters representative body, it's to try and represent the views of fans. But f- fans aren't just one you know single group; they have yeah. got multiple views. And even when we were looking at the um, the responses to Twitter yesterday, you know, you saw mm-hmm. fans, some people saying. Various things about Neil Lennon, some people saying absolute, polar opposite things about the, the situation itself. Yeah. So it, And the same about the alcohol ban. You, you're never going to have a single view. The best you can yeah. do is try and represent, okay, well, a majority of fans have, have, have said this on this issue. But actually, these are all the things we need to consider as well. So you're right. That's right. sort of trending that line of about being considered.
1: Yeah. And I think um, where, we, where we've got to with that is we always try to fall back where, where we can on research that we've done. Uh, that takes a considered and a, an a more scientific approach to gauging the opinion of fans. Uh, and over the years, we've we've done a lot of research around that, so we we're able to hopefully sound authoritative and educated uh, on that topic, rather than just shooting from the hip and saying what was on our minds. Yeah, um, and that's really the role that we want to play in the in these issues: represent what what supporters across Scotland have told us in as much depth as we can. Um, rather than just offering our own opinions on these subjects. Yeah,
0: so tell us uh, alcohol ban, that's obviously some, something I, I wrote about for my uh, my master's dissertation f- four years ago now, so, yeah. so did a lot of research around the alcohol ban in Scottish football and the, the circumstances that it was introduced, but then actually my, my, my real focus was around what do fans think of it sort of 20 years on now, so yeah. um, do fans still feel the same way about alcohol ban? Um, so that that really turned up a lot of interesting findings four years ago and some perhaps mm. most some of the most interesting things were that actually um, perhaps unsurprisingly a majority of fans did want the the ban to be lifted so you're looking at around 60 percent of fans wanted the, yeah. the, the, the ban to be lifted um, but actually do you believe the alcohol ban has been successful in reducing crowd disorder and antisocial behavior um, close to 50 percent said yes 40% said no and there were sort of some in the gray zone so sort of whether or not it would actually improve matters is an interesting one and and i suppose going back to the the hearts hips thing yesterday we were saying that actually that happened even then there is an alcohol ban in place yeah. so trying to make maybe trying to make the distinction between those two things isn't actually that Fruitful. Yeah, I think
1: that's the that's one of the flaws in the alcohol ban that we have at the moment is that it's a ban on drinking football when you're in view of the pitch, but it's not a ban on being drunk at a football match. Uh, although most stadiums, in fact probably all stadiums, um, they're not supposed to admit f- supporters that are that are drunk. No. Uh, there's bag searches, you're not allowed to bring alcohol in, but we know from um, from looking at what happens at, at stadium, people do manage to you know bring drink in. Uh, and it 's not generally the kind of alcohol that would be sold in the stadiums, so people can easy, more easily smuggle a quarter bottle of vodka in a jacket pocket or a bottle of buckfast up their sleeve than getting a, a pint of fairly weak yeah. uh, lager from a, from a registered supplier within within the stadium so as a consequence of not being able to the club's not being able to sell alcohol in the stadium. People generally drink stronger alcohol in the stadium if they can get it in. The other thing that we see people doing is binge drinking before getting to the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I guess that was you know, the big sort of emphasis. I wanted to place on things when the BBC called us up last Thursday. And just for absolute sort of honesty here, um, we'd been drinking for <laughs> four or five hours um, before I, I got on the phone to the BBC standing in a football stadium. But we'd been drinking you know, slowly, you yeah. know, gradually, yeah, whilst yeah. whilst having some lunch, whilst wandering around the city doing a bit of sightseeing and then drop, stop, stopping in for a beer. You, Very, when you say sightseeing, see.
0: you mean going to football stadiums? Football stadiums and pubs, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of the best pubs they, in Warsaw. One the best stadiums.
1: <laughs> yeah. They are technically sights. Yeah, um, we looked out the windows as well. We saw lots. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was after some, uh, longer than that, actually, because you can, you can get a, a pint at 6am uh, at, at Edinburgh Airport, which we took advantage of. Um, so... Uh, I was I was talking with alcohol in my system, but I, I hopefully sounded coherent, um, and I didn't feel out of control, and I behaved myself. I think that's a, that that was one of the, the when I was doing a lot of the kind of literature review
0: around the alcohol ban and the arguments for bringing it back. One of the main things was really, as you say, about binge drinking. You know, people will stock up on alcohol because they know they're not going to be yeah. drinking at the stadium. Um, now whether or not that's that's right or wrong, a lot of people have said actually then you then become more drunk as a result of that when you're actually at the match, it yeah. sort of really gets to your head. Yeah. So if you were to drink more slowly for a longer period of time and uh, as you say, we're on a weaker percentage of alcohol at the stadium that's, that, right. that's also good for the clubs as well because they're making money, Absolutely. as you say. The other the other argument was really and I suppose this is more for the, the the bigger clubs, is around the kind of congestion around the gates. So you have you have a three o'clock kickoff People down there, they're staying in the pub longer because they want to, you know, not waste waste, waste time. So, yeah. um, whereas if you had alcohol on sale at the stands, people will get there earlier. There'll be a sort of a wider period of time where fans will start arriving at the wow. ground from. So, I, there's a couple of really interesting points that are worth exploring. And the other, I suppose they, they they can drink at the Premiership in England, and um, that's right. Um, and okay, well, perhaps West Ham are the best example. But um, <laughs> with the games I've been to, uh, three o'clock kickoff. When you have a pint in the in the stadium beforehand, it's been. Uh, uh, West Ham really are a good example because so they've had pitch invasions in and all we'll, we <laughs> that. But that, forget I, West Ham. I, I'm not sure that was alcohol induced. I think yeah, I think that, yeah, was, I think uh,
1: that was more frustration at the the running of the club. Yes, yeah. Much. But the the thing you say about uh, people that that avoiding that rush at the turnstiles at five to three. I, I remember going down to uh, to Cardiff. For a Scotland, Scotland-Wales football match at the Millennium Stadium and we, we did the stadium tour as we as we do in most places we go to we, we try taking the stadium tour trying to see the place well when it's empty and learn a little bit about the stadium uh, and one of the things they spoke about when they when they moved from Cardiff Arms Park to to the Millennium Stadium, uh, one of their wishes was to put licensed premises within the stadium because that was a big problem that they had in years before. You couldn't you couldn't buy a drink. Well, I think you could could buy a beer in this in Cardiff Arms Arms Park before, but it wasn't enough outlets. There wasn't enough mm. space to, to 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 manage the demand. And with it being a city centre stadium, people would stay in in, in the pub. Until five ten minutes before kick off, and then you there be this almighty surge towards mm, the stadium. Mm-hmm. People trying to get in, get to their get find a place as quickly as possible, uh, and that wasn't in a, in a safe environment. No, no, in. And that's
0: that's where you have accidents. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and
1: I think the coming back to the the Hearts Hibs game the other night, and I don't want to speculate on the on the specific incidents and and the the, the and the culprits of those incidents there, um, but when you when you get a midweek match, a midweek evening match. Just imagine uh, that your idea of the perfect way to watch football is to have you know you know you know four or five beers uh, and then watch the football. If you're finishing work at five o'clock, five thirty, trying to get a st- into a stadium for a seven thirty, seven forty five kickoff, um, that's a very short period of time to drink those four or five beers. Mm. Um, and even the, the hardest constitution that's going to have a, a, an effect on on people's you know, mental state, <laughs> well being, mm. <laughs> mental states, and and behaviour. Yeah, I one of. I've, I've,
0: I've, I remember one of the key things was if you can't go 90 minutes without having a beer then you know what's wrong with you but I think the point here is that's not that's not really the point this is about for example you and I can go to a game and enjoy a beer without becoming louts you know what I mean It's, it's the fact that it's just not equal, really, isn't it? I that's think that's right. the real the real point is why should we have to suffer because other people um, can't control yeah. themselves? Is yeah. really the, the main argument here, and why are some sports exempt from it as well? I, I yeah. guess it's the other yeah. is the other thing. But uh, one of the a couple of the other interesting things I remember from the from the research was. Um, Women were, were slightly in a majority against bringing back the alcohol ban. That that was four years ago, so that was, might have changed in the time since, but that was certainly quite an interesting thing. And also, when I broke it down by age, who was sort of most favourable towards it? It was obviously younger generations were more favourable towards it. And as you sort of looked at the different age categories, uh, the older generations were were much less favourable. And when you sort of looked at the reasons why, as they were talking about a lot of a lot of the things that were happening in the game at the time. There yeah. was a lot of association with hooliganism. But football's come on such a long way since then that, you know, you've had, you would almost say, a new era of football. All-seater stadiums, I suppose, the, 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 you know, the demographics have changed as well. So I think some of the issues that the game had, of less, obviously this week has shown that there's not clear, clear of uh, those issues, but they're far less frequent than they were.
1: Yeah, yeah. And maybe it just it may be proximity um but in Scotland, it seems those incidents happen a little bit more frequently than than they do elsewhere. That may not be accurate, but it it feels like this happens a little bit too often uh but i i my strong sense is alcohol's not the primary cause of these incidents hmm. it's it's something about about our attitudes something in, in wider society that when it, when crowds get together uh they feel they feel that it's okay to act in ways that they wouldn't do when they are alone. Um, and and that's a bit of a you can get quite a poisonous atmosphere mm. and it's not restricted to football um you see a lot of the trouble at, at concerts you know big open air concerts tea in the park and and other uh, gigs that have gone on over the years where there've been a, a much higher level of, of of trouble of fighting of arrests you know per head than there than there are, than there have been at any football match in Scotland in the last twenty maybe even thirty years mm yeah yeah absolutely um so um
0: the, the the last thing the last bit i remember from the research was around whether fans would be in favor of a trial which seems like the sensible way to take this doesn't it yeah and i think they're talking they're now talking about trialing it for
1: 2020 yeah a no, trial at euro 2020 seems a good place to start uh I'm not sure that we'll learn that much from that because that's not a typical game of football that would happen in Scotland. Mm. Um, we're not going to really understand what it would be like for that to happen in a in a heated derby match um or a, or, or or a match where there's a, a really partisan crowd. I'm not sure which, which matches are scheduled to take place at Hamden but unless it's a Scotland match probably if it was a you know Belgium against Andorra mm. um we're probably not going to learn much about how a Scottish football uh, crowd would react, uh, or, or, or what impact it would have on them, but it's a good place to start. Just, just actually test the systems at the stadium. Uh, can they, can they monitor? Uh, can, can the stewards and the catering staff monitor? You know, you know whether people are, are over the limit, mm-hmm. uh, whether they should be should be sold alcohol or not. Um, what's going to happen? You know, do people. Um, you know, throw through throw, throw a plastic cup of beer, then a few rows forward. and how the steward's going to deal with that. Uh, how how is the match going to be policed when there's alcohol consumption as well? So we'd learn a lot about that, uh, and it would give us a, a, as a small taste of what it what it's like to actually what what difference does it make for alcohol to be sold in the stadium? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it may not make may not be that much of a difference really, but it's a good place to start um i think when every time we've asked supporters uh about whether they're in favor of a reintroduction of alcohol in, in in football stadiums themselves um supporters have been in favor um so actually you know you know, take, take that trial and extend it a little bit further mm. and do it carefully do it gradually It'll learn it slightly less heated kind of uh uh yeah Less less matches where there's less likelihood of trouble erupting to start with, and there's probably a lot of intelligence that police have around which matches they're generally trouble at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so try and phase it in and see what see what happens. Learn from it every single step. Um, no trial will be will be entirely successful. So there may be teething problems with it, but learn from those uh, and 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 adapt the the reintroduction of it until we've really tested whether you know this is this is an absolute disaster or not mm. in the studio last night in, in, in the Scotland tonight uh, studio um I seem to be a bit of a lone voice for for, for, for taking out a, a slightly more measured pro- approach about this uh, the other three panelists that they had on were saying now well now is not the time um, but uh, I, I think there's a recognition recognition that you know there will be a there will be the right time sometime. Mm. Uh, and I would like us to to not be afraid to do a very careful, sensible, measured trial around reintroducing it to mm-hmm. just to see, um, you know, if we treat football supporters like adults, will they act like adults? I
0: feel like um, um, yesterday was a bad time to be asking that question because it's always going to seem worse once you've had an incident like that. But yeah. but I'll sort of make the point again. I guess is that that happened when we when do the alcohol have bands in so place. It's, yeah. it's really actually not answering yeah. anything it's not yeah. proving anything either way is it? So yeah, it, it, really, w- it really all it says is that there is this sort of toxicity at some certain aspects of Scottish football which yeah. we need to eliminate which I think everyone is in agreement with yeah. this isn't really about the alcohol debate
1: yeah no, you're absolutely right. It was. I, I, it felt like an uncomfortable time to be ans- as- answering that question. Mm. It was the last question they asked us in the studio. Uh, and before, before they handed over to me, uh, Rona, the host, said in one sentence, what do you think about that? So I said exactly that. I said, well, last night's match took place when there was an alcohol ban. So an alcohol ban is not the answer. Mm. Um, mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what you were on there to mainly discuss, which was how do we eradicate... Uh, this sort of toxicity that we're talking about here, this sort of, you know, hatred and some of the despicable stuff we've seen in the last couple of days. Yeah,
1: we were universal, everyone in the studio was universal in condemning the behaviour there, unsurprisingly, Mm. uh, and being appalled by what had happened. Um, I think over the course of the day, I'd I'd been quite surprised by the reactions to it. You know, for a start, I didn't actually know anything about it until my phone rang at 10 past eight yesterday morning with the BBC wanting to talk to me uh, and wanting my reaction on the match last night. And I, was, I said, Which match? Or oh, the Hearts Hibs match. Um, so, what was the score? Uh, so, nil nil, but that's not the big story. So, I had to go and do a little bit of research before I actually you know, got it on air. Um, but yeah, so, and just before I, I came on air, I was listening into the broadcast uh, and uh, Alex McLeish. Uh, was 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 asked his opinions, uh, and you know, a couple of words that he used really worried me. And this wasn't an isolated thing; it's not an Alex McLeish thing here. But he said Neil Lennon is a provocative character. Uh, and later on in the day, Gary Caldwell was talking about you know I can't remember the exact words he used, but you know he's a divisive character. Mm. In the TV studio that night, uh, Les Gray the, um, from the Police Federation. was talking about there's no justification for what the fans did uh, but Neil Lennon has to look at himself and look at his own behaviour and throughout that throughout the day and I made the point on the radio in the morning and on the TV in the evening as others did um, throughout the day I was really uncomfortable with that kind of language Mm. and and every minute that we're talking about Neil Lennon's behaviour we're not talking about the fans behaviour and let's just remind ourselves the fan broke a law Neil Lennon didn't break a law Mm. we may... We may like him, we may dislike him, uh, he may be a divisive character, he may be provocative. Uh, he may that's be, not really you, the point. Yeah. He maybe shouldn't be gesturing yeah. in front of front of fans, but that's not the point. And that's not the same as throwing a coin in somebody's face with the intent of hurting them. Mm. Um, so I, I was disappointed throughout the day with the number of people who kept on talking about Neil Lennon and his behaviour. Mm-hmm. And really that incident at the match was... Was not about Neil Lennon's behaviour. It was about you know that supporter who threw a coin, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure other supporters that were throwing things as well. It can't have been just you know one coin was thrown and it happened to hit him in the face. Um, so well, yeah, there was also the, the goalie that got uh, got, got punched, punched yeah. and apparently other objects. And, they're, and they're all, an assistant
0: referee as well was was asserted. So it's, yeah, yeah, it wasn't
1: an isolated yeah. incident, it's really. Um, so I so I I think what we really need to To really talk about is the behaviour of the fans, not the things that led up to the behaviour of the fans, and include alcohol in that. If if we if we allow allow ourselves to be deflected into talking about the role of alcohol in that incident, we're missing the point. Mm -hmm. We're missing the point that somebody thought, in the heat of the moment, yes, but somebody thought it was okay to get to reach to put their hand in their pocket, pull out a pound coin and throw it. A, a, a another individual. And it's mm. not the first time it's happened in football. It's not the first time that it's happened this season. At, at this season. Yeah. Um And uh, and yeah. So I was, I was I was pretty uncomfortable with with that whole line of questioning and and the fact that the fact that Neil Lennon has been attacked at Time at, at Castle before. We should actually be talking about the people, the people that people attacked him before mm. uh, and the people that were throwing things mm. last night and every other incident that's happened, uh, but but not. But not focusing on on Neil Lennon or the players involved or uh, referees that have been hit by coins in, in, in the past. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, it's it's, it's a difficult one to get as well because i I know you were you were asked how do we uh, tackle this type of behaviour and um, it's a, it's a really difficult one to know the answer to. I don't think there is a, a one consensus. Obviously, a lot of people in the past have have, have wanted to see strict liability. Um, where you know the clubs are punished for their fans' actions, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, but that's that's very problematic in its own right, and that's sort of rife with all sorts of issues in terms of you know a club potentially uh-huh. being docked points. But what if it's not actually a fan of that club? How do that's you right. sort of account for that? It's um, what what do you think? We uh, one one of the things I remember. We, with the, well certainly last year in the, in the last couple of years We've been working with a lot of support and liaison officers Around this as well So yeah. how do you educate fans better And make sure that they're sort of not tempted It's a difficult one
1: because football such an emotional sport but, um, I, think you're, I think you're right Andrew I think it's about educating fans But it's also about fans policing themselves mm-hmm. And support liaison officers have got a really key role in that Both in the education and the enforcement of it um, and I'll just kind of share an example of, of where this works really, really well, uh, and, and where I think the potential solution might lie. So, a couple of seasons ago, uh, at a Wraith Rover's match, a visiting supporter threw a coin and it hit one of our midfielders on the head in the in the goal mouth. It was Dunedin United were with a visiting team. Um, there was some grainy camera footage uh, that, that picked, picked up the the, the culprit, um, and uh, we were able to. To, to get an idea of what, what the culprit might look like, or, or certainly not we, uh, the police, uh, with the help of the club, uh, were able to, to get some image, images of the, um, the culprit. Um, but actually, the thing that was key in bringing that person to justice was other Dundee United supporters around him mm-hmm. identified him, identified him on the day uh, and afterwards. And they got enough witnesses uh, from his fellow supporters that, that that said, actually, no, this isn't acceptable. So this isn't what we want our club to be seen as. Yeah. Uh, and spoke out, uh, and the guy eventually was was prosecuted, and pled guilty, uh, and and justice played its played its course. To me. That's the ideal model that we should be trying to trying to establish, where 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 fellow supporters actually see this as so so objectionable that they speak out uh, and they speak up, um, and we have a criminal justice system that that yeah. acts properly. Yeah, uh, we don't need another law um, to to punish somebody for doing something that's already a law. Um, so that that's a that's a very different environment and atmosphere to um, an Edinburgh derby. Mm. Um, but the only thing that's really different is the number of people that are there, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're in a if you're in a sellout stadium, there are enough people around you to see you doing that. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the ideal. How do we get there is 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 another matter. So how do you, how do you get uh, ordinary football supporters to to speak up and speak out uh, about that that type of behaviour in an atmosphere that they may be fearful, they may feel defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's I think one of the things that we need to work on to try and find a solution to this yeah
0: I think it, I, is it a, is it a, is it going to be a, a longer period sort of process whereby these people really are a minor minor you know I'm an, I'm an, I'm an tiny minority a tiny minority not a minor exactly. minority <laughs> no <laughs> minor minority um, reminds me
1: of that Tom Cruise film the minor minority report uh, <laughs> min- minor minority report reporter yeah. <laughs> Been a long bit,
0: um, yes. So how do we? Yeah. So how do we get to that point? And and um, as i say what? At what stage do these people really become a minority in that sense, and and really feel like if they do something stupid, they're gonna feel like an idiot amongst their own fans? You know, I think yeah. that's that's a really difficult place to get to, um, but we need to get there. And maybe it is going to be a period of time where, you know, the, the sort of, the the demographics of fan bases uh-huh. change, and and we've seen certain things over time. Become less and less of an issue. Um, So that might be another part of it. But I even remember when we started the SLO program, we went to Malmo and spoke to um, some SLOs in Malmo uh, in Sweden. And they were talking about how effective the SLO role had been in sort of tackling unacceptable conduct. And the League themselves came up with a statistic that um, actually, sorry, I think it was the police themselves said since this program has been in place, this supported liaison officer program, we've had a 20% reduction in unacceptable behavior and we had the we had the SLO Lassie over from um, Bromby as well uh, before Mm -hmm. they played Hibs a couple of years ago in the UEFA Cup yeah UEFA Cup and he was talking about how actually it was about fans just standing up and being more sensible and saying look police treat us badly we need to take responsibility and make sure this is that we're presenting ourselves in the right way and I think the amount of Damage they were doing at away games reduced from like 7 million euros to 15,000 euros or something wow. like that. And wow. You know, because they took responsibility and, yeah. as you said, they started self policing. So some people in Scotland would go, That's an absolutely terrible idea. You can't trust <laughs> people to self police. And, and I would be scared about speaking out against somebody that was shouting effing and blinding and threatening to throw coins at people. You know, that's yeah. that. You know, some people would be scared and intimidated by calling them out. But it's a. Uh, it, it, I think you're right. I think you've got to get to that point where it is really just a very, very small uh-huh. minority of people.
1: Yeah, and when we talk about strict liability, where I see is where I see it having most potential. Uh, and I'm not a full-blooded supporter of strict liability. Don't know enough about it uh, for a start, and uh, to, to to say, well, this is definitely the way forward. But the, the the aspect of strict liability that interests me most is to use it as an incentive rather than a punishment. Mm. So this is an incentive to give people a chance to make make their club better and uh, to make their their experience better and you say so um and, and and i think when it's phrased as a piece of legislation you've got no chance of that mm-hmm. when it's legislation it's about punishment um so the the, the 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 act that was proposed last year or the year before on strict liability mm-hmm. it was a government-led act that would criminalize football um that's the that's one of the big the, the big problems that we had and, and, and fans across Scotland had with the the offensive behaviour at football act was that it criminalised football in ways that 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 weren't true for other leisure pursuits. Um, one of the guys in the studio last night um, said, you know, you know, strict liability. What well, what about strict liability at festivals uh, and holding Calvin Harris uh, accountable for the behaviour of his fans? And that, that sounds kind of laughable. So to to to, mm. to have a piece of legislation that holds clubs legally criminally responsible for the behavior of their fans you know, you know that doesn't seem so odd but but i think that's because we've been in an environment where we talked about legislation against football and it's more normalized but actually if you look at strict liability in uefa competitions and in fa competitions south of the border it's not it's not driven by legislation it's football policing itself mm-hmm. and if football polices itself then clubs will police themselves and fans will police themselves, and that's really what we're what we're looking to get to there. Um, I also made the observation that um, if it's a piece of legislation, uh, the only punishment is a is, is a fine, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really all that the all that the law can do uh, around that. Maybe closed doors matches as well. Um, you know, the law can't dock points from a football club, mm-hmm. and actually, maybe that's a bigger incentive for fans to behave themselves than anything else. So if I throw this coin. Our, our team, our, my team will lose this match, yeah. and as soon as somebody starts throwing things on the pitch, you know, you know, eight or ten people around them seeing this would say, "Hang on a minute, yeah. you know, we could lose the title if you do this." Or you know, we're, we're actually trying to get to the next round of this cup. That may be a better motivating force for supporters to behave yeah. themselves and to police each other and, and to nip some of that behaviour in the bud. Um, I've I've seen over the years, um, thankfully quite quite a long while ago, some some offensive songs that were sung at Wraith Rovers games, and the main thing that nipped them in the bud was fellow supporters saying, "Hang on a minute, what decade do you think this is?" Mm. Uh, and speaking out about it, and and now it's it's thankfully. It's almost eliminated. It's a, it's a, it's a rarity. And as soon as even a, you know a word is uttered uh, by one person, there's somebody uh, on their on their case telling them to behave themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's really got to be the model. You know, society improves itself. Mm-hmm. Individuals educate each other and help each other through that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're finished with our little trip to Poland, then, shall we? And our, yeah. Our game to Polonia Warsaw. That's right. That's Brilliant. right. Brilliant, wasn't
1: it? It was great fun. It was great fun. My second Polonia Warsaw game, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd been going across to Warsaw for about 12 years, and to my shame, I'd never been to a club match uh, until, uh, until September of this year. Uh, and I finally. Uh, a visit coincided with a home match um, and I didn't have families, family commitments to, uh, to keep me occupied um, so I managed to go to a game a month ago Polonia Warsaw less than 10 years ago they were at the top end of the extra classer, uh, they were in European competition and they had a couple of um, fairly major financial events uh, that have led them to, to now being in the, in the fourth division a regionalised fourth tier of Polish football um, and they've been there for a few seasons uh, they're currently I think fourth or fifth in the league table uh, when I went to see them uh, last month in, in September I think it was possibly their first defeat of the season <laughs> coincided with my first ever visit so I thought I was maybe a jinx but uh, we went back and we saw much better uh, much better performance, much better result
0: Yeah, they were, t- they were playing bottom of the table as well I think Yeah,
1: LKS Womza, uh Ooh, who are
0: what? Terrible Yeah they were They
1: were were an okay team Their their number nine Was fantastic He was He he wasn't quite quite quite, Wasn't quite Mark Yardley But he was Mm. kind of A bit of timber But he had a great touch Oh yeah And he was quick When he wanted to move Skillful Yeah it kind of Took you by surprise When Mm. he got into into Fifth gear Mm. Um, Yeah it finished 2-0 2-0, Two 0 is that right? It was two Yeah, two nil to Polonia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, one of my reasons for not, you know, being all that clear about the score was our attention was on the on the on the fans a lot of the time.
0: I don't even think the fans really. And this was this was <laughs> this was an interesting thing. Is I don't really think the fans cared that, no. that much because I noticed that actually the cheering. So so the one thing that I really took me by surprise was the the singing was non stop. Yeah. Ninety minutes solid. Yeah,
1: from from kickoff to, to the full, full time. time muscle. Muscle.
0: And they had a guy orchestrating the entire crowd. We got told off because we were sitting down. Yeah. So we had to and then We, we had got, to stand up and join in stand up and join in, which which I wasn't a fan of uh, then, and then we had to move they made us move seats yeah
1: they wanted to pack one section of the stand get get everybody as close together get everybody standing up everybody singing which everybody is, making a noise which is
0: great if you want to go for, for that but some people actually just quite like
1: watching football. Yeah. I pro- it pro- miserable me but. I possibly should have checked before booking the tickets so there's six of us there at the match um, actually seven one of my <coughs> one of my Polish friends joined joined, me, joined us for the, the game as well when we're booking the tickets uh, they gave me the choice of uh, do you want to be in section air or section C. Last time I went I went in section A which was the quiet stand where everybody sits down and just mm. watches the game. Section C is the ultra section. Mm. Um, and I didn't really understand the significance of the question. I thought, well, it'll just be busier and it'll be it'll be noisier. Yeah. But no, I, what was really behind that question was you won't get to sit down. Yeah. Um, you won't at times you won't get to face the pitch because yeah. you'll have to turn round and, uh, and do the uh, you know do that bit of choreography. Yeah, um, which
0: is just I just baffles me. <laughs> paid money for a ticket to not watch the game yeah but you know what I can't argue about was what, a, what an atmosphere it was yeah. they weren't playing a big team I think yeah. the away team had like 100 fans or
1: something yeah if that and probably in the stadium maybe 1500 2000 supporters at most Possibly. and this is this is a club that have won titles in Poland in, 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 back, back in the midst of time yeah um, only, so one, uh, only one stand open only one stand open yeah it's KD. even last season I went for a stadium tour um, but I didn't manage to see a match because they were playing away that weekend and the, and the opposite stand was open at that time um, but they've now condensed down to, down to one stand and mm. um, the atmosphere was brilliant in the stand. People, as you, as you say, maybe not paying that much attention mm. to the match because it was about making a noise. Mm. Um, and the noise wasn't particularly related to what was going on in the no, field, that was also me.
0: interesting. So, I mean, maybe we... I, I would have been interested... And they won 2-0 and they scored fairly early on. So I would have been interested to know if it had been 0-0 nil, nil, or they'd gone 1-0 down, whether that would have affected... Well, the singing in, or,
1: in September, they lost 2-0 and they were still singing the whole right. match. Okay. Um, I don't know if they were singing the same songs, but... Um, uh, they, may have been, they may have been slightly angry or more despondent about it but they kept singing all the way through yeah. and the one thing that I really liked about it was every time they made a substitution the chant went up jeng yeme, jeng yeme, which is we thank you so thanking the, wow. the player coming really? off, which I thought was a really nice That's touch. Nice. Yeah. And Polish fans don't have a great reputation, reputation. Some of, particularly some of the bigger matches. There can be quite a lot of trouble. Is it because they shouted at us to stand <laughs> up? <or? laughs> then they were shouting at us and they really wanted us to stand up. but And they didn't sound all that friendly, but actually it was a pretty positive yeah. atmosphere yeah, there. it was. And it was good. So they it was very the, impressive. So, so it's about making a noise and it's about just driving your team on regardless of what's happening on the pitch. The other side of it was after the match we went into the fan bar which yes. we'll talk about in a moment, one of my favourite places in, in world football uh, and I, I was wanted to buy a t-shirt, I saw this t-shirt behind the, behind hanging behind the bar and I wanted, wanted to find out how much it cost so I was in my broken Polish asking how much this was and um, one of the ultras was, was kind of overheard this conversation and he came up to me and he, he seemed quite aggressive and agitated at first and he says, why do you want to know that? And I said, oh, just I love the t-shirt, I'd, I'd like to buy one. And he said, oh, okay. Okay, uh, well, we don't sell them here. You know, you need to join our Facebook page and d- send us a message and we'll send one out to you. I said, great. And he said, why are you here? And I said, oh, just like football and visiting visit the city um, and wanted to come along. He didn't,
0: said, didn't mention we were going to a beer festival at Legia Awards. Oh, yeah. I, I mentioned we were going
1: to a beer festival and he said, at Legia? I said, yeah and I said ah, but, but I'm not going to the football there and he says oh you're alright then <laughs> and, uh, and I said "Oh, sorry I've been following Polonia for a few ma- a few years uh, and I came to a first match just six weeks ago uh, and he said oh come and sit down as soon as I'm sitting down he says now you're sitting down you have to drink with us so the vodka came out so this turned what I thought was going to be a 2 minute conversation about a t-shirt turned into maybe 30 35 minutes. I
0: think well I think it was longer than that because by the time you came back the West Ham Leicester game was almost over. Yeah, I think so it went an hour. I went over
1: at half time I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was probably an hour. But in this conversation talking to to this guy so this is a guy he's a he's one of the ultras group there um and he was sitting next to his best friend who's German uh, who now lives in lives in Poland a guy from Rostock um uh, and who who now comes to to all the matches as well. And I said, so do you think you've got a chance to get promoted this season? Because they, they, they were in the same division last year and, and missed out on promotion by, by quite a distance. Um, and I said, do you think you've got a chance of going up this season? And he, and he said, we don't care. Um, it doesn't matter what division we're in, the situation will still be the same. So they've got a gripe with their owners. Mm-hmm. And this is all on hearsay. Not, my Polish isn't good enough to do the research properly for myself. Uh, but he says, uh, until these owners go... Uh, nothing will change, so we will support our team regardless of the mm. results, regardless of what division we're in. Uh, we're here, we're here forever. Hopefully, they're here for only a, a couple of years more. Mm. So that was the other thing that seemed to be behind the this kind of di- almost disinterest in the match itself, because it's it's about supporting the team. It's about having having a good time, being a community, enjoying their Saturday mm. afternoon. Um, and football will come later. Yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe they should form a supporters' trust.
1: Well, yeah. I had a, a, a conversation with uh, somebody from a, from a an even lower tier football club that's an offshoot of Polonia. Right. So because of the ownership issues there, uh, there's this kind of splinter club that's okay. broken like off like and, and set up. Yeah, it's it's that kind of. I'm not sure what tier they're in. Um, right. <laughs> maybe fifth, maybe sixth. I'm not sure. Um, but they they decided to to be the to be a fan owned club. Um, they set up right from the start a men 's team and a women 's team, and uh, they pay both the players of both teams the same right uh, and they treat them the same uh, so on their website they they give equal prominence to the ladies' team and the men 's team uh, as a, as an alternative to, to to the way that football is, is run in Poland and elsewhere actually yeah yeah very much um, so. so there there's a supporters' ownership movement there but it 's not happening within polonia warsaw um Partly the Polonia, Polonia fan that I was talking to said because um, there's no chance of it happening yet at, uh, at Polonia. The, the owners own the club uh, and they're in there because they want the construction contract uh, when, the, when the stadium gets rebuilt. It's, it's owned by the city mm. and the city have announced that they, that they want to rebuild and redevelop the stadium and the owners there won't give up any control um, until they either get that or they're told an absolute firm final no. Mm. And then something may happen.
0: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the the match and the fan bar and the beers that they produced. Yeah. So they had their own two sort of distinctive brands of their own, didn't they? They had a uh, pilsner and a a lager, I guess. Was it? Yeah.
1: Well, the the lager was slightly sweeter. I'm not Mm. sure what what we'd describe it as. That one that was slightly sweeter was um, was produced for the Polonia Ultras, uh, Ultras Enigma Group, Um, and it had a a great label on it with a guy in a black shirt. The nickname is the Black Shirts, Charney Koszula. Uh, originally their their, uh, their strip was black um, to represent loss of Poland when mm. the, when the club was set up it's the only oldest club in Poland that still exists and uh, with uh, red short uh, red sorry red socks and white shorts uh, to represent the Polish flag mm. uh, and it was they were set up in a time when Poland in, didn't actually exist in, as an independent country so it was a bit of a rebellion That's, against yeah, yeah. Uh, against the, 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 the regime at that time. Um, so right. and it had this beautiful image of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an ultra standing mm. in a black shirt um, with a club name ar- around it and so. we also
0: learnt why they play in the black shirts as well don't mean we? it's something to do with the mourning of yeah, In the morning of Poland. Did That's you, right. Did you just mention that? I just mentioned
1: <laughs> that. <laughs> but so, it's right, Maybe people didn't hear, so it was good that you said that. Uh, so there you go. Politically <laughs> active yeah. team. Um, Sorry. And, and actually, one of the, one of the songs that the ultras sing, one of the few that uh, that I, they understood, was "Polonia will ne- will never die," mm. uh, and a, a bit of a a rebellion against against what's happened to their club, but also the country. Polonia being a name for Poland. Mm. So and at the time when they were set up uh, they're calling Pol- Polonia um it, this was a very con- controversial thing to do to name something after Poland mm. um the Russians didn't like that and the and the communist regime there didn't like that either so it's a really interesting story interesting history uh, to the club mm. the fan bar itself is something that that particularly small clubs in Scotland could learn a lot from this is yes. maybe it would hold maybe what 40 people at most yeah. Yeah, right. um the walls and the ceiling were covered in memorabilia, mm, um, shirts, flags, sh- shirts, flags photos, badges, yeah, um, stuff from 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 quite far back as well. So there was a, a framed banner of uh, when they were renamed, uh, what translates as the as the railway sports club. I can't quite say one of the words in, in Polish. Uh, they were called KKS for a while, mm-hmm. which stood for. You know railway sports club uh, and there was a, a very sort of ornate sort of satin banner with with fringes with that written on it was a beautiful thing on the wall there the fridge was stocked with craft beer mm-hmm. um they don't do tiskey or Givets or any of the big uh, sort of industrial beers polish beers so you're drinking good quality beer yeah. in a nice atmosphere yeah um with great people absolutely great people yeah uh, and I think they drive a lot of a lot of revenue for the club through the merchandise that's, yeah, that's on imagine. sale there, there, there as well. So it's it great, it's a lovely atmosphere. Um, I've been to the bar on five separate occasions and only actually been to a match twice, which maybe shows where my priorities <laughs> lie.
0: <laughs> well, we did also get a tour of the stadium and uh, got to meet the assistant manager as well. And it was just a lovely vibe to the club. Um, yeah, other than getting shouted at to stand up. But other than that, it was absolutely <laughs> top experience. Got to sit in the dugouts, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, more more stuff like that would be good, I think. In, in, yeah, uh, if we can bring some of that back, that would be ideal. That's right. Um, okay, we're gonna we've got some we've got some chants that we recorded at the game, which we'll we'll play at the top on the to loop us out of the show. Yeah, uh, but until then, we'll we'll speak to you later.
1: Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye.
0: Behind the Goals is a supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behind the goals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at supdirectscot. That's S-U-P-P, Direct Scott. <laughs>